So welcome to uh, another episode of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dolan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about a bias that is going to test my um, high school French pronunciation. Uh, this one is called Déformation Professionnelle, um, and it's uh, basically how we view the world through the lens of our job and how that can be a very, very bad thing. Um, it's credited to a couple of folks, uh, Russian-American sociologist Petrim Sorokin, um, and also Belgian sociologist Daniel, Daniel Warnot. Um, you can see that pronunciation just going right out the window already. Um, so what uh, Warnot had to say about it uh, was, in the context of bureaucracy, um, here's his quote, administration in the minds of those who are governed is something ugly, incomprehensible, mysterious, irritating, and incompetent. Bureaucracy owes this sentiment in the populace to its frequent and unexpected intrusions into the life of citizens, to its ambitions to, to observe all the rules without daring to risk diverse experiences and impeding innovation with excessive lethargy. So not a big fan of bureaucracy. And to some extent, you know, he credited this to that notion of like, when that's your job, that's all you can see. That's all you can see people as. And, you know, one of the examples of how dangerous this is, is a, um, uh, a French, basically civil servant. Uh, back uh, during the Vichy regime, during World War II, named Maurice Pepin, um, who, you know, by all accounts was not particularly anti-Semitic, but was just a civil servant who did his job extremely well for the Nazis as well as for the French after the war, until he was finally sort of found out by um, by uh, Nazi hunters. But um, But he was doing his job, right, without really regard to what that actually meant when you were doing it in Vichy France and helping round up Jews and sending them to camps. Um, equally dangerous, and I think this is one of the most succinct um, examples of uh, defamation professionnelle. Um, if you think about the paparazzi who uh, pursued Princess Diana, right, on that fateful night, in their minds, at that moment, they were doing an outstanding job. They were doing their job, and they were doing it very, very, very well, regardless of the fact that it was killing, uh, helping to kill a human being. Um, so this could be an extremely dangerous um, uh, cognitive bias. Uh, but in everyday life, it's really more uh, about how it affects the way we see other people and the way we see problems. Um, in my profession, I am a content strategist. I work in experience design. And so it can easily, designers, uh, as designers, we can easily fall into the trap of seeing everyone as a user or seeing every problem as a design problem when it might not be exactly, or that our job is always to delight, right? That's sort of a very popular term in our profession. Um, and uh, Sarah walker Betra has done some really uh, great work here, um, uh, Design for Real Life, uh, is a book that starts to talk about how this might not be the best approach because there are certain situations in life where someone is trying to ask Siri about, you know, uh, something serious like sexual assault and getting clever, witty answers back that aren't appropriate. And there's lots of, you know, examples of this. Um, but if you're looking at someone as a user that you need to delight, it might not even occur to you that there are other real-life problems that real people have. Um, or it might not occur to you that there are audiences that you're not serving who are generally underserved by digital services, right? So Neil Dash has done a lot of great work um, talking about this. He talks about this notion of designing for the most vulnerable. Um, and that's not something that, as a designer, you're necessarily in your everyday job, in your everyday life, is what you're really thinking about. And so it's easy to sort of completely overlook that or completely overlook that part of, of a person. Um, so another quote for this uh, from French surgeon and biologist Alexis Krell, who I believe won a Nobel Prize at some point, um, said, 
Every specialist, owing to a well-known professional bias, believes that he understands the entire human being, while in reality he only grasps a tiny part of him. And I think this is, you know, just so, right? So, um, you know, if you're an experienced designer, you see everyone as a user. If you're a drug dealer, you see everyone as a different kind of user. If you're a uh, marketer, you see everyone as a possible customer. Uh, and on and on and on. If you're a, a health professional, you might see everyone as a potential patient. Um, and it can be difficult to kind of get out of ourselves and realize that real life for real people is complex, that it's not just the one thing that you're good at. It's all of the things that, you know, it takes a village to, you know, uh, support any one person's needs. So uh, one of the things this becomes a real problem for is just this notion of expertise and how expertise in some contexts can be a really good thing. But if that's all you've got, if that's all you rely on, it can become very problematic. Um, it gets really tricky when, um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of leaning on my own field because I see this a lot. When you sort of think of, oh, here's a problem I know, I'll build an app, right? You sort of say, oh, if I could just build an app, I can solve this big, big, giant problem. Um, and uh, so uh, another good quote here is literary theorist Kenneth Burke um, said, a way of seeing is also a way of not seeing. A focus upon object A involves a neglect of object B. And uh, Golden Krishna, who um, has written a lot about uh, what he calls this no UI movement, no user interface, like try to get rid of the apps if you can actually, um, you know, sort of has a talk uh, where he sort of says, you know, think about um, someone comes up with an idea for an app that will open your car door, right? Um, and he actually says, yeah, it sounds cool, right? But then you actually walk through the steps of that and you realize you would reach into your pocket, pull out your phone, find the app, find the right setting, point it to your car, do the thing. Like there's end up being like 14 steps when you compare that to the current process, which could be as simple as pulling out your key fob and pressing a button or putting a key in a lock and you're in, right? Like you haven't actually improved on the experience. Um, but it's things like that, right? It would seem natural to someone who builds apps all the time to think, oh, I, I can build an app for that. I know how to do that. That's how I see the world is a collection of things that might have apps, you know, to be done for them. Um, Another place I see, I've seen this uh, in my own life is um, I've worked in, you know, uh, industries where there's, you know, regulation or industries where there's, you know, a need to have people who are, uh, to, to have lawyers who are really good at making sure nobody messes up, right? Nobody does anything. Um, I, I learned in, in my professional life that there are basically two kinds of lawyers to overgeneralize a bit. There was a lawyer who was there to help you get out of trouble. And then there was a lawyer who was there to keep you from ever getting into trouble, right? And those are two just completely different approaches to that job, right? Um, and I've worked with people who are really more the latter. And what's, you know, frustrating and even a little heartbreaking is to watch people talk themselves out of being interesting. And I'll, I'll show you what I mean. So I was talking to this one person I worked with, and they were trying to, you know, help craft like a birthday message for someone in the office. And, you know, no big deal. And they had come up with actually a really kind of cool idea for a video. And it was really kind of funny. And as they were describing the idea to me, Everything they said, they sort of immediately corrected and said, oh, but that could be a problem this way or that might offend this person or that might be get me into trouble with that person. And by the end of this person describing to me the idea, which was a really funny idea, they had basically defanged it and talked themselves out of being interesting and then just settled on something generic and forgettable. And, you know, it's just a birthday message. And I get, I get that person's point of view, right? Because the, every day their job is to find all of the different ways that a particular action um, that the company might take would um, get them in trouble, make sure they don't do that. You know, that's that's their job. That's their way of viewing the world. But that deformation professionnelle sort of got in the way of her just crafting a simple, enjoyable birthday message. Um, and it was kind of sad. Um, but uh, but that's the thing, right? That that's that that's the, sort of the the um, 
the danger of um, thinking of the world just in terms of your job. Now, in terms of combating this, um, people kind of suggest trying to return to um, what's called beginner's mind, which is this notion of how would you approach this problem if you knew nothing, right, about this topic? If you if you weren't a UX designer, if you weren't a lawyer, if you weren't if you had some other job, if you if you knew nothing about this, what kind of questions would you be asking yourself, right? As opposed to the go-to questions you kind of have, what would you if you were really truly a beginner, what would you be thinking? And that's one way to sort of start to combat those reflexive reactions to situations where you just go to, oh, I'm a content strategist, so I'm going to start looking for the content and how it's being produced and blah, 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 whatever weird things we do. Um, and another thing I think that might help is always trying to go back to, and this has been like a core thing for me, is always go back to making sure that you're always listening and not reacting. Um, if I haven't said this before, uh, a friend of mine, Alex Hillman, great you know, co-founder of Indie Hall and awesome all-around person, um, uh, once said, uh, you cannot listen and react at the same time. And I found those to be very, very wise words that I've lived by ever since. And it's true, right? If you're listening to somebody, um, it's very easy. We're sort of used to starting to hear what they say. And then as, as soon as they say something, you start reacting in your head and thinking what you're going to say back to that. And as soon as you start doing that, you've stopped listening. All the rest of the stuff they said just is gone now because you were busy in your head thinking up your witty response. So I consciously try to kind of step back when I feel myself doing that and say, no, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to react. And I'm going to be totally unprepared when they stop talking to say anything because I'm just going to listen. And it always goes better if I do, right? And it helps prevent that kind of reflexive, oh, I'm an experienced designer. I know exactly how to, how to respond to this, right? I know exactly what, what to say. It's like, no, 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 no. Let me just listen. Let me actually listen because they may not be talking about the thing I'm thinking about at all. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Uh, try to listen and try to... Um, think, approach situations as if you aren't an expert, especially if it's something where you're supposed to be an expert. It's very difficult, but I think ultimately rewarding and can avoid some really bad situations uh, going forward. Uh, so anyway, that is uh, this week's uh, Cognitive Advice podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and I will see you next time. <laughs>